Hey, hey, this is Stacey Reagan and Michael Doyle bringing you All Things Central 301. Welcome to our podcast, The 301. How are you doing today, Michael? Very good. Um, we're excited to do our first podcast of 2020. Happy New Year. It is a happy new year. Yeah, I think this, um, <clears throat> this 2020, until the end of the school year, I asked our high school teachers to submit names of students who are doing out of the ordinary things, um, outside of school, things that don't typically get recognized. And community involvement stuff. Community right. involvement, you know, things like, because obviously if they're doing playing sports or they're in music or fine arts or things that, you know, like that's a, clubs. That's a lot easier to see. It is easier mm-hmm. to see. So our students do some pretty interesting things outside of the school, so we wanted to showcase those. And today we have with us Isabella Di Piazza. Welcome. Welcome. Hi. So Isabella, what year are you here at Central? And you are our student council president, isn't that correct? Yes. And you also lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Sometimes, yeah, I do go on the announcements, yeah. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. All right, so you're also involved in government outside of CHS. So why don't you tell us, where did your interest in being involved in government come from? Um, Pretty much from a really young age, I've always been interested in being like a lawyer for as long as I can understand what a lawyer was. Um, and both my parents always agreed that's kind of seemed to be my natural calling because I kind of like to argue. Yes. Um, and I like to debate, and I am interested in politics. Um, and about, I think it was like my sophomore year, Ms. McGuire actually um, presented me with an opportunity to join this youth civil group um, to our state representatives. So for the 70th district, it was Bob Pritchard at the time. And then this past year, so my junior year, it was Jeff Keischer from the Republican Party. And I just thought it was like a really good opportunity because I'm obviously going into law as my profession, um, and I've always been interested in it. I don't really know where the interest started. I guess maybe just my proneness to argue, but it's just like well, that's a skill though because that's one of the things I think that is lost in our current society is this idea of a a civil discourse, Correct. right? The argument. That, that, that doesn't mean that you have to dislike the other person. I, I love having a good argument, right, where you debate information and facts. And you may not come out on the side you want, but it's I love having that discussion. Well, and I think there's a skill involved where you have to support, you know, what you're saying with facts. Well, and that's and where Twitter and... Social media really hurts because it's just yeah. spur of the moment, like right? the trolling, right? It's that well, spur of the I moment. Saw it on the internet, it must be true. Right? It, right. How much yes. of that do we see? Right. Yeah, for sure. So, how did you become a part of the? Well, you told us Mrs. McGuire kind of gave you yeah. that that opportunity. What are um, some of the things that you learned from you know doing that? Um, okay, so I started my sophomore year, and initially I did not know what to expect. And I just kind of thought it was going to be some sort of like council where we like go and just like kind of meet them. And then I got there and we get like folders full of paperwork and each paper has something to do. It's like an article regarding um, pretty much everything that falls under what a state representative handles. And so my first year we dealt a lot with like um, taxes and stuff like that. And we kind of looked at like older stuff too to reflect on like what's going on new because you know a lot of times you have to go back and look at like right. the past to move forward in the future kind of thing. Um, and then with Jeff Keischer we talked about a lot of more like current issues like things that were prevalent among teens, things that we could like actually be right, yeah, yeah, things we could get our mm-hmm. input in. 
So that was one of the big things Legalization of marijuana, right, those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. yeah, and so I learned a lot about that. And then outside of that, um, on like a personal level, I kind of learned that uh, these representatives are like totally normal people outside of this job, which I was surprised by because I feel like there's a lot of like stigma around the idea that politicians are like not, not like not normal, but like they're kind of like different than the rest of society, but these people are like living among us, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Kind of almost, well, I mean, in some ways they are held to a, a higher standard. Mm -hmm. but well, you, you hope that the people you elect will represent the people some sort of common goodness for society, right? Mm -hmm. However you want to say that, but that's what you hope for, and you hope that they, they have that standard that we all should kind of follow and live by. Yeah, right. what, what do you think is one of the biggest pressing issues for young adults your age? Because um, your generation, I would, uh, Mr. Doyle and I were talking right. yesterday how um, I read an article about the power of the millennials mm -hmm. and your generation. You're, you guys are coming into power. Yeah. You know? And how this election coming up, Correct. it really is you guys who are going to decide the future course of what happens, right? right? Yeah. And so, you know, you, you've seen in the past year a lot of youth movements. You know, you had the kids in Florida you know, for gun violence and um, well, watching and, for that. Well, and all the rage with climate change right Correct. now, right? And, uh, Greta Thunberg, right. Thunberg, who is leading the charge on climate change and the, and the crisis with that. So what are some of those pressing issues? Like, what do you think is really pressing for your generation? Well, I feel like now more than ever, it's starting to change for the better. Um, but I think initially a big issue was the fact that, like, other generations weren't really embracing, like, the unique qualities that my generation has. So for a long time, like there was a lot of attributes that we had that were seen as like negative, like mm -hmm. kind of not an obsession with technology, but I would say it's worked to our advantage, like to the point where it's an obsession, but it also kind of like shapes the future. Like your phones, right. is yeah. that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah, and social um, media. Yeah, but I yeah. think social media right now is like one of the biggest ways to spread the word for issues like this. Mm -hmm. And so in, in a way, it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. Um, but I definitely think pressure to kind of conform um, from the outside because our generation is so unique um, in so many ways and I feel like there's just a lot of pressure to like go back to like the societal norms that used to be normal and now like there's a new normal and I feel like the biggest challenge is just embracing that and overcoming like judgment things like that and then really using our skills and what makes us so unique to the best of our ability to better the rest of Yeah, the and if you really dig into it, your brains are wired differently than yeah. ours. Oh, totally. With technology. I, I, I say this all the time. I have a 14-year-old and a 9-year-old, right? And, and they'll play Xbox. Mm -hmm. And my 14-year-old was not born into it the way my 9-year-old was, right? My 9-year-old, from the minute he was born, it was all tech, right? It was mm -hmm. all this digital age. And my nine-year-old can just school the 14-year-old in everything they play. Like, yeah. you know, all the racing games and Star Wars games and all that. It, the nine-year-old is so much better because he was, he was born into it, much like my 14-year-old is way better than I am. Uh, you know, I, I can't compete yeah. with him with any of that well, stuff. we're digital natives and we're... Right. Yeah. We're digital we're, learners, we're right? We're digital immigrants. Yes. You know? Yeah, it's a good way to put it, right, and yeah. We, you know, have that... And, and we're pretty good with technology, like but we but we work not, at it a lot. We have to yeah. work at we it. We don't have that in eight. You know, right. I always said, you know, these kids can rule the world with their phones, but they don't know how to make a photocopy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. You know, exactly, or, right? Or, you know, 
dial in old school phone. Right. Or, you know, Where we could totally school them on that. Yeah. But how relevant is that skill anymore yeah. anyway? And you guys just process information so much faster than, than we... Well, there used to be this discussion about how you really can't do two things at once. Multitasking. Right, you can't do it, right? We can't. Mm-hmm. Not very well. Not very well. But you guys, I think, like you said, are hardwired. You guys are wired for it, right? That, yeah, that we, we can never understand that. Yeah. yeah. So I feel pretty hopeful for our future. I, I, yeah, I, I, I do too. Uh, but speaking of futures... Mm-hmm. What are your plans for after you graduate? So I'll be attending the University of Kentucky in the fall of 2020. Um, I'm already all registered there. I have my orientation set. I have my roommate. I'm really excited. And then after four years, I'll transfer to some sort of law school. But I'm going there on a pre-law track. Um, They have a program called UK Blue, which is essentially where you go through law school in six years as opposed to seven. So I'm looking into that right now. I'm not sure if I'll end up doing it. but I'm really excited, and so I don't know where I'll go to law school, but I guess we'll find out. But that's the goal is to eventually yes. four years at UK and then yeah. law school and then somewhere. Law. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So uh, it's very interesting to hear what you're involved in, is especially how how you have this tie to Illinois state government. That's really interesting. Um, I'm very hopeful, as, as Stacy said, about the future, especially seeing people like yourself involved in pushing the agenda for your generation. It's a really big deal to have someone at the forefront pushing that. Yeah. Thanks for coming in today. This has been Isabel DiPiazza talking about her experience with the Illinois Youth Advisory Council uh, with the state reps and a little bit about how she's involved with government and the way things are developing. And we'll be back in a few minutes with Kate Vincent, the SEL coordinator for District 301. And we're back. Well, Mike, we have another segment coming up here for the first podcast of 2020. And we have a... Uh, someone who's new, right? We have a, a brand, district, yeah. brand new person to District uh, 301. So today we have with us someone uh, who really has her work cut out for her here. She's uh, taking on a really important part in our students' education, and that is the ever-important social-emotional learning component of a child's success. So we would like to welcome to our podcast, the 301, Kate Vincent. Welcome, Kate. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. So um, we wanted you to come on the show to really inform our parents and audience about what social emotional learning is. And it's usually teachers call it SEL. And it's something that teachers have always been responsible for in an unstated way, I think. And it's really something that has, I think, kind of come to the forefront of education um, lately. And it's really been more formalized in its curriculum. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about what SEL is? Sure. I think you're exactly right. I think teachers have been doing social-emotional learning unknowingly since teaching became a
I think the ones that, that parents are probably most familiar with and that most of us are familiar with um, are probably the ones where we're talking about the compassion, the empathy, and of course, stress, right? That is the one that is really out there. How stressed are students? We see that everywhere, everywhere from Time Magazine to Facebook, my kids yeah, stressed out over homework kids, or you know, and it's and everywhere. And we both have, I have a 19 year old and stressed out to them, you know, during his time in school and a lot of anxiety. And I just think, how do we get here? You know, it's, it's funny because, I, and I also have, I have a son who's 14, and, and I think we see the same things, is that they seem to make things way bigger than they need to be, right? They seem to overreact a lot, and somehow we got to find a way, yeah. uh, some sort of skill set that they can build to find a way around that, right? It's, it's building these things up to be, they're so important in their mind, and in reality, these are very small things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Other times, they are very big things. But I think we see kids sometimes stress out over some things that they probably could take a deep breath and and relax a little bit, well, right? Well, and I, I think, and, and you can probably speak to this a little bit later, but I think even as parents, it's, and we just talked about this with uh, our senior student that we interviewed um, for the first segment, just the difference, every generation is different, right? There are hmm. all, always generational differences, but these kids are just wired differently their brains because of the things that they're exposed to um, technology all of those things where their brains are just wired differently and then you have us who are digital immigrants and we're not understanding what they're well, doing and that might be with, some of the stress with, right with, you know social media and so for parents you're just thinking i never had to deal with it. like why are you overreacting to the, you know because right. And we just we don't, don't understand, understand it as well, it. right? Yeah. And I love this point. One of the most frequently asked questions or one of the most common things teachers and parents say to me is, children are different. Kids are different. And, you know, my response to that is, well, childhood is different. Right. So it, it is. Children absolutely are different. Mm-hmm. Youth and teens absolutely are different. Right. It's not necessarily the kid. It's the experience, right? It's, it's yeah. The experience. Well, and every generation is different. Of course. That's, right, that's right. That's the thing that, you know... We have to remember, like my our generation dealt with things that my parents didn't have to deal with, and they dealt with things right. Well, you, and, baby and, boomer parents, and you had the, the parents who dealt with the Great Depression versus the parents who dealt with Vietnam or whatever. Right? right. It's always my different. My parents mm-hmm. lived through the Great Depression, right. you know, and my dad went to Vietnam, and so yeah, it, it is definitely very different. So, Kate, how would you say you you fit in with your role here at Central? I mean. How, how do I know as a teacher that you're here, and, and what is it that you can do for me? Sure. So a little bit of my role um, is more behind the scenes. So I'm working pretty closely with our building administrators, our school social workers, and our school psychologists to talk about what does social-emotional learning look like at our building level. So this could be things like um, our elementary buildings who are talking about character traits and students receiving positive rewards for demonstrating expected behavior while they're at school. It might also look like our social-emotional learning committee at the middle school, where staff are specifically giving students strategies to cope with stress during group work. It also looks like um, the development and reinforcing of universal school-wide expectations to help improve our school climate and culture. So what we know is that when students feel connected at school, 
when they feel mm -hmm. safe at school, when they feel like they have positive relationships with teachers at school, they're more likely to be engaged in instruction and their academic achievement actually increases. So a lot of social emotional learning is thinking about how do we strategically build school spaces that encourage students to feel safe, be able to take risks, work through feelings of anxiety, problem solve, deal with interpersonal issues that come up so that they, one, have a safe opportunity to practice those skills before going on and practicing, as a, practicing them as yeah. adults, and then two, seeing us as adults model some of those strategies for them. I think sometimes um, we get really focused on fixing the problem when we're talking about students who are struggling with social, emotional, and behavioral issues, and it can be really challenging to meet students where they're at. One of the things I talk about a lot is that as teachers, it's not our job to control student behavior or control student emotion. It is our job to create environments where students feel safe, where structures are embedded to help them be successful, and where we can reinforce them for using skills and help them problem solve as they work to learn acceptable alternatives. Because at the heart of it, they're kids. Absolutely. And they, with with little experience. With little experience. They're learning, right? They I are mean, learning. it's it's the old riding the bike story, right? Yeah, I definitely They're gonna like fall that down. idea that you can't control someone's behavior because you can't. No, you can't. But you can build the capacity for them to learn how to manage their behavior. I always like to think of the idea that it, that like a hockey reference, you're the goaltender. You keep them in play and continually just keep working with them, right? That, that's your goal. You're the guardrails. You're, you're, right? You can't control any of that, but you can guide. And I think with social-emotional learning, we start to think, using your hockey analogy, about the game a little bit more strategically. So we know we have these competencies. So instead of just playing defense, we're really going to try to get in front of. So what can we teach students to do proactively? How can we support all students, not just our students who are at risk or struggling? How can we create safe spaces for all kids? How can we equip all staff members with the ability to support students? What we know is that students are most likely to seek out a classroom teacher, not a social worker, not a psychologist, not a building administrator, not a parent, not a friend when they're struggling emotionally. So part of what we want to do and part of what my role is is helping prepare our teachers to be able to have conversations like this with students as well as helping um, our school teams build in supports for all kids, not just for at-risk kids. Great, so what are some of the real challenges you see students struggling with? And I know that you're new to the district and you've been um, in other districts and buildings. I think you were at Mid-Valley Cooperative, right? Yes, yeah, so, so <clears throat> you've kind of, you know, have your, your thumb on the pulse of, you know, the area and, and kids. Um, so, so what are those things that you see kids really kind of struggling with today? Sure, so this is my 10th year um, working with students with challenging behavior and in a variety of settings. So I've worked in schools, I've worked as like a home-based therapist, um, public schools, therapeutic schools. I think what's interesting um, is that um, we see students, <clears throat> we, the time that I've spent in education and, and working with kids and young people, we've seen SEL really rise to the top. So mm -hmm. some of the things that we see students present with are things like depression, anxiety, and stress, of course. 
Those are familiar to all of us who work with kids. But we also see students struggle with things like perspective taking, using functional communication to express their wants and needs, executive functioning, so being able to like multitask or manage multitasking simultaneously. I think there's some competing research on that. Some of it I think could be, there is research that suggests that it could be linked to the digital community and the immediacy that some of our students have when they're interacting digitally, when they're playing video games. But I don't think that we have a definite idea as to what the cause is. There's also data that shows that more students are reporting. So some of the stigma around mental health is changing. Um, Which is are, necessary. Absolutely. Yes. Kids are much more likely to report feeling depressed, feeling anxious, feeling stressed, feeling disconnected, feeling angry than even when I was in high school. So oh, is it Lord. that... They just it, didn't talk about that stuff. No, back not in the at day. all. No. Completely. Yeah. So, that was your business, right? It was private. Correct. And you, did, you just didn't talk to anybody. Right. Mm-hmm. So a big question in the social emotional learning community is... Are, are we seeing more or are students just reporting more? Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, we need to be equipped to meet them where they're at so we can provide them with support. Yeah, I guess the cause, I, I mean, you, you always have to diagnose the problem, get to you know the root of, of, of the problem, but the bottom line is we have this situation and we need to work to, to learn how to help our, our students. So yeah, and, and part of what we do for social emotional learning in our district is teach kids how to ask for help, teach kids how to recognize when their peers might need help. Mm -hmm. So that again, we can prevent um, and be strategic in our response so that we're not putting out fires, we're keeping fires. My biggest challenge with my son was teaching him to become an advocate for himself. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's that's a real struggle because I think, you know, as parents we, probably do more for our kids than my parents ever did for me. Oh, for sure. You want to go to college? You figure it out, you know, and and today, you know, here I am researching, you know, stuff for him. Hey, what do you think about this? Instead of just letting him do it. And it's really hard sometimes, you know, to step back, but really teaching them to become advocates for themselves is I think well, it's, I think it's, 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 it's a challenge. It is a challenge. And I think we're at a place in society where as parents, that is so much of our identity. And it is what our kiddos do and don't do isn't just a reflection of them, it's a reflection of us. It's, it's, our, like it it's our digital like identity, it right? It's our digital identity because it's what we put on Facebook. Correct. It's, and I say Facebook because we're old, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not Snapchat. And, right. and or, taps, or TikTok. Right, it taps yeah. into who we are as, as people when yeah. that becomes such a primary part of our identity. And so teaching self-advocacy, we're teaching students skills or our kids skills, but as adults, we also then have to learn boundaries. And we're forced to sit with anxiety or discomfort or fear of the unknown, which actually taps into our own SEL right. skills and our yeah. own SEL needs. So the interesting thing and one of the coolest things about SEL is it never happens in a silo. I have emotions and needs and behavior the same way that anyone else has emotion and needs and behavior. And my emotions and needs and behavior is going to influence the emotion and needs and behavior of others. So this is a key takeaway for our staff as we continue to talk about social emotional learning. So we're talking a little bit about parents. How can parents help support fostering 
SEL skills for their children? This is one of my favorite questions. Um, I think one of the first things is um, conversation. So even asking your kids, what are your rules at school? This is huge for elementary schoolers. Um, we typically talk about three to five universal school rules. So what are the rules you follow at school? Um, and then being able to ask follow-up questions like, oh, one of your rules at school is to be safe. What does it mean to be safe at your school? So you're using the same language that the school is using. You're reinforcing that idea of consistency. You're also asking open-ended questions. So instead of giving students the answer, you're giving them the opportunity to respond. As kids get older and they start to experience potentially like increased anxiety, increased feelings of frustration, I think again, our response as parents is, oh my gosh, my kid feels uncomfortable. I want them to feel better. I want that feeling to go away. So we get into solution mode. Yeah. And all, the, all the time, all right? The time. Yeah. And sometimes what our kids need is for us to just kind of sit in the moment with them um, and give them space to feel and talk through their feelings. Mm -hmm. So I really encourage parents to go to open-ended questions. How are you feeling? Have you felt like this before? Do you know what made you feel this way? What happened? Who else was there? Was anyone else impacted? What do you think we need to do to move forward? Is there anything that you need to do to make it right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and those then, are great questions. As parents too, we can model that dialogue in our own home and in our own conversations. Mm -hmm. So we might be having adult conversations in our house, but if we can communicate that way, we're modeling and reinforcing that same type of communication for students. So I think it's okay for us to be open and vulnerable about our emotions with kids as well. So being able to say to our kids like, hey, it makes me feel really sad when you don't want to spend time with our family. It makes me feel hurt. Yeah. What, and then being able to ask the follow-up question of, what does it feel like for you for me to tell you that? Which is, which is really hard because coming from a generation whose parents like yeah. my dad nothing no. stone face there was you know it was he was unhappy or he was dad and that was it right yeah and and, and now it's a it so for us to try to as parents look at the models we had and try to adjust a little mm -hmm. right we have to adjust too otherwise none of this works and our kids don't get what they need sure and i think again one of the biggest tips i give parents even when i'm working with them in like home-based settings is keep your questions open-ended. Um, we don't want yes, no, right? We want- we How really, was your day at school? Fine, that's, you know. We wanna give kids space to talk. Mm -hmm. um, and we wanna be able to ask those open-ended questions. And even if we don't agree with what they're saying, um, we wanna lean into what we call restate and validate. So it sounds like it was a really tough day at school for you today. That's hard. Yeah. Thanks for letting me know. And then we have to be okay with not solving that problem, um, and instead just sitting with the success of, we just had an open and honest conversation. Right, and maybe lead them into how are you gonna solve this problem. Exactly. And not how am I gonna solve this right, problem. Right, you gotta bite your lip on how I'm gonna solve it, right? How are, how are you going to solve right. this problem? That's, that's gotta be the answer, right? Yeah. And these are the same conversations that we're working with teachers to be able to have with students as well. Yeah. So this starts to tap into what we call restorative practice. Mm -hmm. Again, this idea of helping individuals be accountable for their own behavior. So moving away from things like punishment, which we know isn't an effective tool for behavior change, and focusing more on teaching, 
conversation, accountability, and reinforcement. Yeah, great. Uh, so you, you kind of are touching on it a little bit. How does SEL change like from kin, you know, cute little kindergartners to the 12th graders who are ready, who are, are, are adults? You know, a lot of them are 18, they're ready to go to school or the workforce. Well, yeah, they're going to be on their own in three months, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah our seniors are, you know, graduating soon. How, how does that change? So the cool thing about SEL um, is it actually doesn't change that much. The way that we teach, the way that we talk to kiddos, our interactions are going to change based on their developmental level, but SEL itself doesn't change. So in Illinois, we have three social-emotional learning goals that are based on those five competencies. The goals themselves stay the same, kindergarten through 12th grade. The way students demonstrate achieving those goals shifts, but the goals themselves are always the same. So we're always looking at self-awareness, social awareness, and responsible decision-making and problem-solving. For a kindergartner, when we talk about responsible decision-making, that might look like how they're... Not going to eat the cookie. Yeah. You know, and even, then, or, yeah, for the high schooler, it's going to be, I'm not going to drink at a party. Or, exactly. Yeah. Or even like, again, for kindergarten, like responsible decision-making might look like if I choose to run in the puddle at recess, what's going to be the impact of that, mm -hmm. right? My shoes are going to be wet all day. For a high schooler, if I choose not to submit any of my assessments, what's going to be the impact of right. that? So that's really what we're getting at. Um, Self-management for a kindergartner is going to look more like things like hands to self, um, being able to tell someone if I feel sad, mm -hmm. being able to control some of those impulsive behaviors, um, play appropriately with peers without getting frustrated. Which is really funny because what you're saying would, would be exactly what you kind of want a high school senior to do, right? Completely. Yeah, it's, it's just a different level of. And exactly, yeah. and for our high school seniors, that's going to look like how do I collaborate in groups when I have to work with other students? How do I use coping strategies when I'm feeling anxious or stressed? Right. What can I do to manage like feelings of anger or frustration? Not to make them go away, but just to manage them. Mm -hmm. um, how do I motivate myself? Am I self-motivated? What kind of like structures and supports do I need to create to help me be more self-motivated? Well, I think it's important for kids to know, especially as we get to, because uh, I taught in eighth grade for a while, so I, I, I know that perspective. Knowing that everyone has those feelings and anxieties and fears and that that's a normal part of growing up. You're not well, when I think of adulthood right? too. It's not like they Right, we all still have like, them, right. No. Yeah, for sure. And you know, some adults need help in practice with you know, with, social with all that stuff, <laughs> right, yeah, with all sure. that stuff. And it's so interesting what we're seeing in research now when we look at like large companies like Apple, Google, um, some of our big insurance companies, they're saying that they're more likely to hire individuals who come to an interview with solid social emotional skills than individuals who come to an interview with um, excellent content knowledge. So the idea that these yeah, companies- Straight A's from Harvard or something, yeah. Totally, so it's so interesting. So the idea that these companies are starting to have is that um, content related skills can be taught. Social emotional skills, if they're not taught early and during those formative years, kindergarten through 12th grade, 
it's going to be much harder to teach as an adult. Yeah. Well, and we have, in America, we have a service-based workforce. Yep. So if you cannot get along with people, you're really going to struggle. Yeah, for sure. So as we wrap up here, I'd like to ask you, what kind of supports and resources are there available for the teachers? For teachers in our district, I think your first line is absolutely your school psychs and social workers. We have amazing student support personnel in our district and are trialing some new strategies this year to again be preventative. So how can we catch those at-risk students early? Um, all of our teachers participated in STOIC training. STOIC stands for Structure, Teach, Observe, Interact, and Correct. So one of the first things that teachers can do is go back to that STOIC model. Do I need to increase structure? Can I reteach? How are my interactions with students? Are my corrections effective? And then bring that information to either their social worker or psychologist, their building level administrator, and start to process that through. It's interesting because there are many social emotional learning curriculums, but there isn't a lot of data to support use of a canned curriculum. Mm -hmm. What we're seeing is that social emotional learning happens most effectively through classroom structures, explicit teaching, school-wide expectations and reinforcement, um, teaching and providing supports for all kids, and then teachers modeling some of this behavior with their students in their class. Well, and a lot of that social-emotional learning would happen to me on the spot. <laughs> you know, right then and there when something happens. So like you said, having a set curriculum and going through readings and worksheets, it's, that's not going to help. Not gonna help. No. It, it has to be in the moment. Well, and we see social-emotional learning happen all the time. I saw a group um, break out and start working together in a middle school class recently, and they were having some conflict, and the teacher walked over, and instead of saying, stop, the teacher was like, hey, guys, what's going on? Mm -hmm. Where are we breaking down? And then each student got to kind of share where they were at, and the teacher walked them through that problem-solving process yeah, versus great. just redirecting a disruptive behavior. Mm -hmm. So that right there was social-emotional learning in action. Yeah, and it happens in the moment. Yeah, for sure. Very interesting stuff. It really is. Well, we'd like I to talk for hours about I know this. We is can. My favorite. And Kate, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I share a lot of content related to social emotional learning and behavior management, specifically for teachers. My Twitter is Kate Vincent LCSW. Awesome. So come follow along. Yeah, I think I follow you now on Twitter. Yay! Yay! Well, Kate, we'd like to thank you for coming in today. It was great to learn about a lot of stuff that probably we're all thinking about, but don't aren't really putting all the pieces together. Yeah, I think for parents, too, like recognizing that the state of Illinois actually has social-emotional learning standards. It's not something that the district just made up and we're, you know, going to do. This is actually... Yeah, it's real. It's yeah. real. And you can find the social-emotional learning standards on the Illinois State Board of Education website. You can also email me at kate.vincent at central301.net if you're looking for a copy of some of those standards, you will see social emotional learning continue to be a priority for the district in the coming years. And we'll continue to bore to increase the level of student supports we offer within this domain. Awesome. Great. Well, Kate, thanks for coming in. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm Michael. That is... That is Stacy Rose.
Megan. Thanks for listening to the 301.